Now, turning our attention to the passage before us this morning, which is Romans 15, 14 to 33, and if you have that in your Bibles open, that would be helpful, I'm sure. Romans 15, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. I stand before you as a recovered, burned-out pastor. There was a time in my life when I was severely burned out in pastoral ministry and was so depleted and um, down that I actually had a medical leave of absence from the church I was pastoring to try to get well again. And as a person who has experienced severe spiritual burnout, I really appreciate what Chuck Swindoll wrote in this article. There is a sign along the Alaskan highway that has brought a smile to many a motorist. Choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 150 miles. Henry Nowen admits to being in one for well over 20 years. No one could tell by looking, but he was becoming bored and probably a little boring as a teacher. From the external, he had it made. The University of Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard were on his resume. Not too shabby. And his field of study was equally impressive. Theology mixed with courses on pastoral psychology and Christian spirituality. Nothing was wrong with that. But in the rut, he got so deeply entrenched, he began to churn internally. Listen to Nowen's honest admission. As I entered into my 50s and was able to realize the unlikelihood of doubling my years, I came face to face with the simple question, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? After 25 years of ministry, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Everyone was saying that I was doing really well, but something inside me was telling me my success was putting my own soul in danger. I began to ask myself whether my lack of contemplative prayer, my loneliness, and my constantly changing involvement in what seemed most urgent were signs that the Holy Spirit was gradually being suppressed. I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. In the midst of this, I kept praying, Lord, show me where you want me to go and I'll follow you, but please be clear and unambiguous about it. Well, God was. The Lord made it clear to him that he should leave his prestigious role as a distinguished professor at an Ivy League university and join the L'Arche communities for people with mental disabilities. In Nowen's own words, God said, go and live among the poor in spirit, and they will heal you. So I moved from Harvard to L'Arche, from the best and the brightest, wanting to rule the world, to men and women who had few or no words and were considered, at best, marginal to the needs of our society. End of quote. The lessons awaiting the man were numerous, some painful, a few humbling, but all of them necessary. What a contrast, yet how essential. He stepped off the treadmill of academic calendar and its demands and deadlines, popularity, freedom, and respect, the abrupt contrast of quietness, lack of notoriety, simple lifestyle, and strict daily routine posed an incredibly difficult adjustment. It took some time for the man to discover how all this would prove to be the solution for his spiritual burnout. 
by and by he would learn to shed his cloak of profound individualism in pride and accept the disciplines of accountability and closeness that his relationship with a small group of people with disabilities would require. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, he would experience a necessary change deep within his own being. The master teacher would learn to be the humble servant. The self-confident, proud individualist would be changed to the compassionate, caring friend. His glamorous and often applauded world of superstar soloist would be replaced by a more Christ-like philosophy of ministry that now included words like sharing and serving together and giving and receiving love. I sincerely doubt that Henry Nouwen will ever return to the rut that held him so tightly for more than two decades. Who knows the devastating consequences he could have encountered had he not been willing to lift up his eyes into the hills and to get a new direction for his life. That was a necessary change, and perhaps some of us have come this morning, and the Spirit of God will show us that we, too, have need of change. It would seem in this winding down of the letter to the church at Rome that the Apostle Paul was a full man who made full plans. He shows us that in verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. And then skipping down to verse 19, so in the power of the signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem around about as far as uh, Alicrium, here it is, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And then verse 29, more in fullness. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Yes, the Apostle Paul, near the end of his life and ministry, as recorded in the New Testament, was understanding himself to be full of God and full of God's purpose, and that he wanted to minister to those, those other believers who were equally full of God and, the, and God's purpose for them. And I'm here to stand before you, brothers and sisters, this morning to assure us that for each and every one of us who knew Christ Jesus as Savior, that the normal Christian life is the full Christian life. Not full of appointments and tasks, but full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's love, full of God's ministry. That's the normal Christian life. The life of Christ, which is the only life we have left to live because we've been crucified with Jesus. The life of Christ is a full life, a life that is full of the Holy Spirit, a life that is full of love, a life that is full of joy, peace, and patience, a life that is full of kindness and goodness, a life that is full of faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, a life that is full of the Holy Spirit. That's the normal Christian life. And if you're here this morning sensing that your life is a whole lot more empty as a Christian than it is full, that's a good starting place to admit that before the Lord and to yourself. The normal, spiritually healthy Christian life is not a depleted life. It's not a life that lives on the margin of resource. It is a full life. The Christian life that is normal is not a depleted life that is so drained by uh, rabbit trails and pursuits for self that there's nothing left to give to anyone else. 
That's not the normal Christian life. A burned out Christian is not a healthy Christian. And that burned out person, maybe you this morning, needs to look again to Christ. And we look again to Christ by being in his book with humility and teachability. And to be moved back to be full of God such that we can give to others from the wealth we have in, in the Lord. That's the normal Christian life. And to have that, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we fix our eyes on Jesus by fixing our eyes on the Bible. You know, it was Jesus who said in Matthew 11, an astounding thing, an astounding thing for the Pharisees of that day, an astounding thing for the Sadducees of that day, and still an astounding thing for the religious in the Bahamas in 2016, an astounding thing. This is what Jesus said then, this is what Jesus says now, and this is what Jesus will ever say. Listen, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you're here this morning, friend, and you do not agree with that verse, in honesty of your own experience and where you're at right now, if you simply, in privacy, you wouldn't say it out loud, but if you disagree with what Jesus said when he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, guess what? You're not yoked to Jesus. You're yoked to yourself. Or you're yoked to someone else that you let call the shots in your life as a Christian. If you're here this morning and you hear Jesus' words, for my yoke is easy, and you disagree profoundly, then you're not yoked to Jesus. You're yoked to something or someone else. And when you hear Jesus' words, and my load is light, and you conclude that really and truly, in your estimation, your load is heavy, then you're carrying the wrong load or letting someone else other than the Holy Spirit carry the load before you. And I can say that with directness and love because I was there. I was so depleted and so burned out in the first pastorate I had that I had to have a medical leave of absence and I wasn't sure if I'd ever get back to pastoring or that I ever wanted to. The burned out and depleted Christian life is the empty life and it's not the normal or healthy Christian life because we're to be full. We're to be full of the Holy Spirit. We're to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. We're to be full of Scripture. We're to be full of God's love so that when we look at someone who comes to us and in depletion, we don't go, oh, her again, and cut through the church to the other side. Oh, this guy talks the air off me. I have no time today. Forget it. That's a depleted Christian life. It's not the healthy or normal Christian life. And I've been there. So I admit it's easy for me to get there. And in Romans 15, 14 to 33, we get some of the Apostle Paul's final plans for a life on earth before he was beheaded. And it's obvious in these plans that we're going to look at in these minutes that he was a full man. Paul was a full man. And it's equally obvious that Paul wrote to believers who, wrote, who read the first time the book of Romans. He wrote to a group of believers at a church at Rome that together were also full Christian, very much looking forward to meeting Paul face to face. They had not yet met him, spending time in fellowship with him because he was a full apostle, not of himself, but full of the Spirit of God, full of Jesus. And these full believers at Rome wanted to welcome a full apostle so they could have a full fellowship 
a full renewal, a full strengthening in the things of faith, a full satisfaction, a full pleasure, a full edification, a full, full upbuilding of each other. Now let's look at Paul's full plans because he was full of God. And as you do with me, look at these plans. Please, don't stop at academic learning. Don't settle for facts. Ask the Holy Spirit as we go through the Apostle Paul's ancient plans that were full of God to people who were also full of God. You let the Spirit of God minister to you. And when we talk about a plan that Paul had all the way back, ask yourself, is that a plan full of God and full of people that God would have me to emulate, to copy? So let's get after it. The full plans of the Apostle Paul, right from the text. I'm going to read verses 14 through 33 so you can get all of what he's saying about his future plans in the will of God. And concerning you, my brother, and I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish one another. But I've written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem around about as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ." And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, therefore I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and I put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for, for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you by joy in the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. These were the plans that the Holy Spirit of God purposed to include in the Bible so that we could read them all these centuries down the corridor of time for timeless application and learning for us. 
These are the plans, as I've been stating, of a full apostle, not full of himself, but full of God. These are plans of a full apostle to minister to other full believers. These are great plans. And I see seven plans listed in the verses I have just read. And the first plan that Paul had was to continue proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. If you're taking notes, that's your first blank. To continue proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles so that they would become acceptable to God and sanctified. Verses 15 and 16. But I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God, watch it, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The first plan that Paul had was to continue to do what he had been doing, the proclaiming of the gospel to Gentiles. Paul was commissioned of God to be an ascent one to take the gospel to the Gentiles, which was really ironic because before he was saved on the road to Damascus, he hated Gentiles. He was a Jew of Jews. He was spiritually arrogant. But God said, I'm going to save you, Saul. I'm going to name you Paul. I'm going to send you to take my gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles. And Paul's plan in this chapter was, I'm going to continue doing that. Second plan that Paul had was to continue to glory only in Christ. Is that what you do? To continue to glory only in Christ, verses 17 to 19. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in all things pertaining to God. Therefore, in Christ Jesus... Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I'm not going to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all around, as far as elicrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul's second plan was to continue what he had been doing, to continue to glory only in Christ, to refuse to glory in himself. Before he was saved, he gloried in himself, his own religious accomplishments. But after being saved, he was humble, and he gloried only in Christ. And he says in these verses, I'm going to continue doing that. I'm not going to stop. Third plan he had was to continue to preach Christ where Christ had never been preached before. Paul was not into preaching where people heard about Jesus already. He wanted to go to regions, to cities, to places, to provinces that had never heard Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen before. I see that in verses 20 to 22. See it with me. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see him, and they who have not heard shall understand. Verse 22, for this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. Paul purposed to continue to preach Christ where Jesus had never been preached before. Are there persons where you work that were raised even in the Bahamas by someone who doesn't know who Jesus is? Or worse, they've been told something other than the truth about Jesus. He's a genie in a lamp, and he owes you materialism and wealth and convenience. That's a, that's a false Jesus on this island. 
Paul said, I'm planning to continue to preach Christ where he has never been preached before. And then plan four he had was to visit the believers in Rome on the way to preaching Christ in Spain. He was going to move from what we call the land of Israel today, around the northern cusp of the Mediterranean Sea, and he was going to purpose to get to Rome, it's in Italy, and on the way to Spain, where you know where Spain is, it's at the western extremities of Europe, 23 to 24 tells about that. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing, to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Paul said in his fourth plan that he wanted to visit the believers in Rome on his way to preaching Christ in Spain. Fifth plan that Paul had to deliver a financial gift from a Gentile group of believers in Greece to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He was FedEx, he was UPS, he was DHL. He wanted to deliver a financial gift with integrity and honesty that was given by believers that were Gentile in their backgrounds to suffering Christians in Jerusalem. See that with me in verses 25 to 28. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are also indebted to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also material things. He's saying they only got Christ, the Gentiles only got salvation in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ in his humanity was Jewish. And these Gentiles recognize their debt to the Jewish people because the Messiah is Jewish in his humanity and they decided to compassionately and generously give a financial gift from Gentiles that once hated Jews. But Jesus makes a difference. These Gentiles, in gratitude to God and in compassion for fellow believers in Jesus who were Jewish in Jerusalem, gave a financial gift. And Paul said, what I'm planning to do is get that financial gift swiftly and honestly to the people who need the help in Jerusalem. The sixth plan that Paul had, according to these verses, a plan to have the church at Rome, the first readers of this letter, to have the church at Rome join him in praying for protection and prudence for his various ministries. One way you can pray for me is your pastor. I want you to pray, please, that God would protect me from the wiles of the devil, that God would guard me from temptation to sin that I would cave into. I want you to pray for me that I have prudence in what I say in the pulpit and what I say outside the pulpit in the church building and what I say outside the pulpit in the community. I want you to please pray for my protection from the wiles of Satan and prudence in what I say and what I don't say, what I do and what I don't do, what I think and what I don't think. And what you pray for me as your pastor, pray for each other. Verses 30 and 31. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. To strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul just didn't say, you strive in your efforts to pray for me. Paul said, I'm striving in my efforts to pray for myself. For prudence in ministry. For protection in ministry. 
verse 31, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea and that I might may my service for Jerusalem may be proved acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Paul planned again to have the church at Rome join him in praying for himself, and he asked them to pray for him for his protection as an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ and preacher, as his prudence in presenting Jesus Christ where Christ had not been presented before. He prayed for protection. He prayed for prudence for himself, and he planned to ask the Romans, Christians, to pray for prudence and protection for him in his ministry. The seventh and the last plan of a full apostle writing to a full church in this passage was the plan to experience mutual refreshment as God wills a visit to the Roman church. He never met them. He wanted to meet them. He longed to meet them. He had never met them. You know, sometimes we get up in the morning at 6 or 6.30, whenever you get up to come to the service on a Sunday, and you say, man, my, I'm stiff. I was out a little late last night when I come. You know, what will I get out of this? What if my friend isn't there? What if the music wasn't my songs that I like? Guess what? God wants us to assemble with other believers on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, for him, not for ourselves. Furthermore, God wants us to come and make the choice to be present as you have this morning in corporate worship, not just for what you'll get out of it, for what you'll give out from you to others. Ever thought the person in your pew this morning is just hanging on by their fingernails? There are so many stresses and pressures and problems in their life. They just limped in here, needing a job, needing a healing in their marriage, needing wisdom for a prodigal child having been robbed this week, or living in a neighborhood where they really have a difficult time less resting their head on their pillows at night because someone can crash through that window and assault them. Ever thought the person in the pew beside you is just hanging on by their fingernails? Ever thought that you could turn to them before you leave the building this morning and say, excuse me, I don't know you yet. My name is Rob. What is your name? How can I pray for you before we leave the building? Here's how you could pray for me. Paul planned to go to Rome to experience mutual refreshment in the fellowship there with the believers that were full. Verse 32, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Never met them. He had no favorite person at the church at Rome. Never met them. But he knew because of Christ they would share everything in common and they could mutually Refresh each other in Christ. These are plans of a full man, a man who is full of God and not full of himself. He used to be full of himself. Before the risen Christ encountered him on the road to Damascus, he was chock full of himself. But not anymore. When he made these plans, there were plans of a full man who was not full of himself but full of God. So let me ask me, and let me ask you, of Paul's seven plans, how many centered in himself only for his own benefit strictly? Well, plan one centered in God and the Gentiles, that 
God would save. Plan two centers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is glorious. Plan three centers in the lost world without Christ. Plan four centers on the ancient Roman church and the unregenerate persons of Spain. So verse 24 indicates that Paul wanted two things for himself in this plan. He wanted assistance to get to Spain so he could evangelize, and he wanted enjoyment of the church at Rome's believers and their company. Plan five censors on relieving financial strain among Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Plan six centers in prayerful dependence upon God for protection and prudent behavior. And plan seven centers in anticipated mutual refreshment in God-willing visit to Rome. So apparently plans four, six, and seven include a blessing for Paul, but not a Paul-only blessing. He was praying for himself to be blessed, that others around him could be blessed both in Spain and in Rome. There is not a request in this list or a plan in this list that was bless me, bless me and only me. It's all about me, God. Bless only me. There's no plan in there for that. That's the plan of an empty person with respect to God, but full of himself or herself. That wasn't Paul. So where, I ask myself, where do my plans center? When I look at this week, where do my plans center? Just myself? When I look at this month, where do my plans center? Just myself? When I look at the rest of 2016, what are my plans? Are they all about me only? Are they about God and about the people God will bring into my life? Maybe you ought to ask the same question. To the degree that I've let myself get spiritually empty like Nowen did. To that degree, my plans will center on me, myself, and I. All the rest of you can root hog and die. That's an empty person. I'm going to let you just ask God in the quietness of your heart, is that me? Has that been me? Did I walk in like that kind of a person? Or I evaluate everything is just about me? The 15 feet of pavement in front of me, then someone cuts me off and I go ballistic? Is it all about me? That's an empty life. Our lives should be full of the Holy Spirit. Our lives should be others-oriented. <laughs> I love what Paul writes under inspiration in Philippians. He's in jail. He's in jail when he wrote Philippians. And it wasn't a flat screen TV jail with three square meals a day and a comfortable bed either. In Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4, listen to what he wrote to the church at Philippi while he was in jail. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now here, watch this. Do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but instead, rather, with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Is that how you see life? Let each of us regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. 
but also for the interests of others. But also for the interests of others. Paul was a full of God person. And because he was, he wasn't depleted. Because he was, he wasn't evaluating everything as it relates to himself. Because he was, he put others ahead of himself. Joy for Paul was Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Is that you? Could be. It's a choice. I can't make the choice for you. Your spouse can't make the choice for you. Your friend can't make the choice for you. Sunday school can't make the choice for you. Church membership can't make the choice for you. Only you can choose to have an other's orientation. Only you. Now, there are two verses in this passage this morning that I haven't touched yet. I want to close on them. Verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. What a wonderful statement to be able to make about a local church that he never met anybody in it, but he'd heard about them. Their reputation preceded them. He says, you're full. Roman Christians, you're complete. Hey, you over there in Rome that believe in Jesus, you're competent. You're full, you're complete, and you're competent. Jerry Paulson wrote, the sign above the motel clerk's desk read, have you left anything? It was an obvious reminder of those checking out to take one last look. The couple about to leave had received their bill from the night's lodging, plus phone calls and restaurant charges and tips, etc. And the husband figured up the total, and he turned to the wife and he said, they should have a sign that reads, have you anything left? <laughs> None of you left anything. Have you anything left? Many Christians in their spiritual life feel like that couple empty and drained because all the resources have been used up. This need not happen, however, because in today's text, Paul uses the word filled and full in reference to the lives of the Christians at Rome. They had experienced real-life situations, had gained insights, were full of knowledge and goodness. They were strong and mature in their faith. Therefore, they were able to help one another. The Bible brings us face to face with the importance of building up inner reserves so that we can bear the infirmities of the weak. That's what verse 1 of this chapter said. Now, you who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those who are without strength and not just please yourselves. The quote goes on, as believers, we must not expend all our energies on our own needs but we must grow in grace so that we have something left for others. In a day when many are tired and drained and burned out, let's keep our spiritual indicator on the dashboard of our lives at full. This will require keeping our priorities right, faithfully doing God's will, and growing in our understanding of his word. We will then have something left to share with others, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Full, empty, able to give to others, depleted. I encourage myself and you to guard our hearts, to guard our schedules so that we have time in the Word 
time in prayer, in others' orientation, to live full of God so that we can give out of our fullness to people aren't saved yet and to brothers and sisters in Christ who are needy for love, needy for time, needing for encouragement. Oh God, I pray that we would be full of you, that we could ladle out of your fullness what people around us need. Deliver us from me, myself, and I. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.